Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. And we are back two weeks in a row now, Monday, Wednesday, Friday episodes. This is episode 56 of the Bash Mania podcast with two-time NCAA champion, three-time NCAA finalist, Quinton Wright. Quinton's been a friend of mine since he graduated. He's been a client of mine at Bash Solutions, and he is just all around a good guy, and he's got some great stories and a lot of great insight. Needless to say, I am super pumped to dive into this conversation with him. Before we do, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoy this episode and you have an extra minute or two, go and leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. All right, let's get Quentin. It's Bashomania! Let me tell you something, brother. He gave us everything he had in him tonight. What you gonna do when Bashomania runs wild? Oh, it's gonna be a good one. And business just picked up here on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Super excited for this one. We've been friends for a while. He's been a client of mine. Quentin Wright, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I was just telling John Reeder how excited I am for this conversation because I was pulling up some photos um, for the cover art for the podcast. And when I typed in your name and Tony Rotundo's uh, website, your match against Reader came up in the 2011 World Team Trials. And I know he beat you that year. He definitely beat me that year. I wasn't... I wasn't really excited to win that match, but it, I would say that was bad. I wasn't really excited to win because then I'd had Russell Kale next, and that would have been awful. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's why it's like I, I, I was telling him, like I, I sent him a picture from that match, and I started telling him, like, dude, Quentin's story is so awesome, and it, it's pretty untapped. And I, I saw you were on track this week, and even I felt like they they left out so many good golden nuggets, and I don't know if it's just. They, I think they have a good wrestling analysis on things, but there's so many other topics that I'm excited about. So I, I guess we'll start at the beginning. I don't know how many people know and don't know that you grew up like 10 miles away from Penn State. Yeah, and yeah, and that's what people, a lot of people don't realize that at literally eight miles away from Penn State my whole life, that's, I grew up. I actually grew up, I call it a hobby farm. I grew up <laughs> on a hobby farm. Uh, we raised Angus beef cows. My whole life, I was scared to death of them. It helped me with my confidence. Um, and yeah, we had 87 acres there, and I call it a hobby because we really don't make money. My dad, my mom, and dad were both school teachers, and they're making really good money because Pennsylvania school teachers. Once you get in the system, 20 years, you're making really good money. You know, you're only working 220 days out of the year. You have summers off, so I really had an awesome, awesome, I would say, upbringing in that regard. Yeah. Farm, 87 acres, was hunting, fishing. In do the they park. still have that land? Yeah, they still do. Wow. And they still have, yeah, they still have the farm, but a lot less farming, just more yeah. uh, working on the ground and doing yeah. odds here and there. And then when I got in high school, we started raising white-tailed deer. And that was a... Really? Yeah, so you think about all the deer that you see on TV, like the hunt shows, they come from farmers or they, they uh, breed them. 
the thing about the deer industry is that you have to breed uh, the genetics. It's like horses, that you have to have good genetics on both sides in order to have um, a huge white-tailed deer. And that's what you're talking about. When but talk isn't, about- it, aren't the hunting, like I know in New York, like I've hit a couple and they say that one of the reasons they're so needed to be hunted is because of population control. Are they still farming them even though they're like hunting them for population control? Yes. That's wild. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, because in the wild, you don't get those, the deer that you see on TV, you yeah. don't get that in the wild because they don't have time to grow. They don't have the right nutrition or they don't have the right genetics. The main thing is genetics. You have to have the right genetics for the whitetail deer hunting. And, but that, and that's the key is that you have to have genetics so that you keep them in the pen. Uh, and deer aren't really made to be in a pen because, uh, as, uh, I think my dad learned real quick, you can lose 20 grand. Just by working on the fence, the deer gets up, runs to the fence, breaks his back, and we end up with $80 burgers. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up right, right there. I assume it was never really an option to go anywhere but Penn State. You know what? I thought about that, and it it was, but I just didn't get pulled away enough. I didn't get pulled enough. I didn't get pulled away to leave because being – around the area i knew the alumni rich rich lorenzo he was yeah. a huge friend of uh of the family or of my dad and you get to know the wrestling people uh, john fritz he was a national yeah. champ he's the um sherio oishi oishi was another legendary coach he judo he started a freestyle program then he had john hughes was here matt tim durland uh troy sunderton was still in the they've all yeah. these guys been around forever um the old coaching and so i kind of i knew them and at the time is I didn't have the exposure, the national exposure. I didn't have the accolades like other kids who, um, somebody like David Taylor, who he was everywhere. He went to every big tournament, won all the big tournaments. You know, I just did what my high school did. My biggest tournament was beast the East after they pulled out all the out of state kids. So I won it whenever it was kind of down. I was, I was still pretty good, but the New York kids didn't come. Ohio kids didn't come. And then I won it those two years in high school. And how did you get better when you were younger? Like, I don't even want to start talking about your Penn State career yet because you were a two-time Pennsylvania State champion. And Pennsylvania is the— I was doing a halftime state champ. What's a half? What's a halftime? I took second. <laughs> how I did you— Half? I've never heard that. <laughs> oh, wait. It'll get better. So, no, I... so I had the kid—I kid, was, I was losing—I was losing the five— yeah, I was losing five nothing. I said, God, just give me one opportunity to win this match. And he was on top, and I hit. The, he had the leg, and I hit the roll right to his back. I had him on his back. The place is going nuts. Actually, this kid named Tim Dernalin, or not Tim, um, Tim Darling was his name. He was gonna, and I said to myself, whoever wins this match is gonna be a three-time state champ because he ended up being a three-time state champ after that from Nazareth. And I said, I said, God, give me one chance. I hit it. I had him on his back. I said, and I was gonna pin him. And that's whenever I relaxed. I said, I got this. And that's when, whenever I did that, I felt his hand coming between my stomach and he rolled right out. I lose the match 7-5. And at that moment, I learned, can't let up on the gas. Yeah, I, and I think your your college career speaks volumes to that, especially I told you I just watched your match with Dustin Kilgore. But even backing up, like, how did you get better younger when you were becoming a two and a half time state champ? How were you getting better and better at such a young age, especially if you weren't traveling everywhere like so many did at a young age? I, I would just really work in. I was working. 
with the local college and with the local kids. So whenever I was in, and I've always upped my game with the next level. So when I was elementary, I'm wrestling with junior high kids. When mm-hmm. I'm wrestling with junior high kid, when, when I was in junior high, I'm wrestling with high school kids. When I was in high school, I would go to the Nittany Lion Club at Penn State, and I'm wrestling with the college kids. So uh, that's kind of how I kept my game. So who, I would always seek out the better competition for practices. And it, yeah. you only need you know maybe twice a week, two times a week in order to do that. And and back then, like, it's funny. We'll, we'll talk in a few minutes about the, the website stuff after college that you wanted to do. And it's funny because when you talk, go back to your youth career, you didn't have the abundance of video and film like you do now. So how are you watching guys like Phil Davis? Like, I know you said, like, hey, if, and Phil Davis is granted later in your high school career where you basically said, hey, if, if, if Phil Davis can become an NCAA champion at Penn State, I think I can. How are you following these guys? How are you staying on top of that? And were you looking to them to get better to the degree of, hey, look at this guy. Like now you see like Yanni just posted a video yesterday of he's watching matches of Sitikov and other Russians, right? Trying to finish a high crotch to this. How were you, were you doing any of that back then? Not really. Um, it's interesting because yeah. that's such a way so many people get better now is they're watching like well, international film well, and. But and that's what I credit to just wrestling these younger kids being better is they have they finally have access when when flow wrestling started back in 2003 and four, you know, into five, uh, especially in Pennsylvania. I know a kid I went to my roommate, James English, which ended up being the reason we won the national title in 2014. You know, his points. He started a, a club at his school called the Flow Wrestling Club. And what they did for one period during the day, like one forty minutes during the day, they watched flow wrestling videos. And so that was that's what caused kids to get better at a young age. They actually got exposure to um, the better better wrestling. And for me is we had a we had a lot of really good wrestlers in here in central Pennsylvania. I know when it comes to riding legs, there's a guy named Ron Piper. He was he was one of the, the best using legs in this area. And then you got the Hughes, who's just mental toughness and being and being tough. Uh, Timmy Durlin had different shots, uh, and we also had people come in the area quite a bit. Like we had at and the Galloways were probably was another big name, you know, phenomenal in high school. His um, he brought in the crew called the Ohio All Stars, and the Ohio All Stars uh, brought in. I remember the one time a guy named Doug Bluebaugh who was like a 1964-something Olympic champion. Just unbelievable. And then I had – well, here's the other thing, too, is I had Ken Sherdo here as well. Yeah. And everyone knows you know, Ken Sherdo's name. I'd say he was the first one to um, do the camp – the nationwide camp systems. Like we have all these little camps today. Yeah. You know, he's the first one to kind of like market it and make it huge. And so I was – during the summer, he brought in all these you know big-time people, uh, people into his camps – Back back when he first started, he had a ton of really good people come in. I know Timmy Flynn, he wrestled at Penn State, but now the coach at West West Virginia, yep. he would he would come in and he had some great technique. We had uh, Jimmy Martin, a national champ for Penn State, he would always come in. Uh, Brandon Slay came in one time. Uh, the funny thing is, I introduced him to speaking at Ken Sherdo's camp by uh, playing the bagpipes. So he <laughs> might remember that if you ask him. But he. Uh, that's what we did at that time is that I just went to these camps where they had these people and I tried to learn as much as I can, but there's also a lot of great wrestling in this area. Yeah. And I know too, I know from knowing you and even I probably became a Quentin Wright, like real fan. I think it was, 
I want to say it was after 2011, but it might have been 2013, when you gave the interview after, and you're like, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, like instantly, right off the mat, when Quint Kensich went to interview you. And I'm curious of when your faith became such a crucial part of your career that helped you with your success. Yeah, that was that was awesome. I mean, that was an unbelievable story uh, that year. And truly, it was just a, a testimony from uh, a, a God wanted me to give out to people. And i kind of been hesitant, really, um, to, to talk about that. So I figured I need to start I need to start promoting that and talking about that more than than what I did, because I'm a very quiet to myself type of guy. Yeah. Uh, but what with my faith, I, I grew up in a, a Christian household, uh, and I knew how important it is. Went to church every weekend. We never missed Sunday. Uh, we grew up as a Methodist. Uh, but then when I got in junior high, me and my brother, we we started into a non-denominational churches as well. We yeah. started getting that uh, and, and just learning. It's all it's just, it's like wrestling. It's just learning yeah. and learning about the Bible, reading about it, and really developing. Uh, one thing I learned too is that it's not just a rules and regulations; it's just a relationship. So you got to learn to develop that relationships. And with all relationships, you have good times and you have hard times. And with wrestling, I learned I would say maybe when I was in junior high, wrestling helped me um, grow my faith. And faith, as in what? What is faith? Faith is just um, believing in something that you don't really have right now. Yep. Something that you don't quite, you haven't attained. And so I remember one time I was wrestling in a match and I, I was like, I, it was an overtime. Uh, it, it was an overtime and I said, and I was, I read the Bible verse, you know, God knows the number of hairs on your head. And I said, you know what, if he knows the number of hairs on my head, maybe he cares about, uh, maybe he cares about me winning. Or maybe he cares, maybe not just winning, just my wrestling. Maybe yep. he cares about my wrestling. So then I said, uh, I'm there now. I'm in overtime. I think I was about junior high, and I said, you know, God, just give me, just, just give me the strength for just to, to get up. Just give me strength to get up because I'm dead tired. Yep. Well, I felt that I was strong. You know, that next two seconds, I gave it everything I got, and I was able to get off, and I won that match. I'm thinking, huh, that kind of worked. <laughs> and so I said, well, maybe he does care about me winning. And then I remember another time, I was wrestling a kid, and I said, um. Uh, weird close or with one or two points and i'm literally talking to god while i'm while i'm wrestling i say you know god nothing i'm doing is working what do i do and he's like i'll do an inside trip and i'm like god i haven't hit that move in three months <laughs> why and he's like all right do it your way so i kept wrestling for another 20 seconds i'm thinking okay i guess i'll just try hit inside trip five point move win the match you know i blow it open i'm thinking huh that works. So, um, and I just started doing that within my wrestling matches. I just have this, I think of it as, you know how you go to church and you have a worship session? Yeah. Well, when I get on the wrestling match, that's my worship session. Because <laughs> I'm just like, I'm out there doing what God created me to do. Sure. And, and being that, which kind of leads to the big lesson I learned whenever I got in college at freshman year. Uh, that was an, that was an awesome growing opportunity. Uh, because I really learned how to, uh, God has created us to be ourselves. We're each individual one of us, uh, he wants us to be who he created us to be. You know, he wanted you to be Justin Bash. He wanted me to be Quentin Wright. He wanted Kale Sanderson to be Kale Sanderson. And all we have to do is just do that and just trust him 
to help guide us. And all you got to do is just ask a question and sit and listen. And was there times that you asked for something and it didn't happen and you had to wrestle through that with God? Like there, there were times obviously where it's like, okay, God, I really want to get up. He let, he helps you get up. There's times, what do I do to win this match? You get inside trip. I'm sure there's other times when you've lost matches that you've kind of had those thoughts and conversations and they didn't necessarily go your way in the moment. How did you handle that? I would say more, more often I never asked. Okay. Like, so, uh, half the time, you kind of when you're wrestling, you're kind of on autopilot. Yeah. And so, like, I'd go through matches. In a good example of it, it was uh, when I lost the national title in 2012. Yeah. Don't worry, God, I got this. You know, <laughs> I lose in overtime, and I'm thinking after, what did what did I do wrong there? I'm thinking, you know what? I never did. I never asked for help. I never asked for wisdom. I never, I never got into that. I never, I never asked for help. And so, in in high school, for most part, you kind of on autopilot. And I'm not saying I'm doing every match, but yeah. a lot of times. Whenever I make that my focus is whenever I have the most success. And a lot of times, just as humans, we're all human, that we we, re- we forget about that. And when we forget about that, we just we do it our way, which, yeah, that can work, too. You know, doing it your way can work. Majority of the, you know, it can work. I'm not saying, it, you know, it, that's why we have, that's why you have really bad people make a lot of money and you have really good people that don't make any money. You know, that's just, yeah. there's, that's life. So, um but the the moments I've had the most success is whenever I've really had that partnership with God and I've gone into it with, you know, God, hey, I'm just here. Help me. Just help me out. And I know another big thing for your early success at Penn State was Mark Perry. We were talking after I had Mark on the podcast and you told me that, you know, he's the, the sole reason you beat eventual NCAA champ Jay Borschel in the Big Ten semis. And I believe that. I believe Mark Perry was working with the freshmen, so he's working with you and Frank Molinaro, who obviously both we saw how that played out. What was your relationship with like with Mark Perry like? Oh, it was awesome. I mean, when he was at Penn State, I was his go to. I was his go to guy, and I would say mostly it's because I was the only kid willing to do the work that he wanted us to do. Sure. Um, yeah, and that was the main thing. Like, I was the only kid willing to work as hard as he wanted us to work. Now. Frank Molinaro, he worked hard as well, yeah. he, and he was one of Frank's guys. But Perry got so frustrated at Frank Molinaro that he halfway through the match, um, Mark Perry would just get up and walk away from the match. He would. <laughs> Why? It, because because what happened is if Frank was cutting a lot of weight and he was doing it the wrong way, well, Frank would gas out at the third period, and Mark Perry would just get so frustrated the fact that he's gassing out, and Frank couldn't help it. He was yeah. cutting late, got down to forty one, and. He wasn't doing it the right way. Um, and so Mark Perry knew how good Frank was, but then he would get so disgusted. The fact that I remember one time um, Frank was, he gave up, he was winning. Then he, the kid was coming back. Mark Perry gets up, walks away. Frank gets another takedown and Perry comes running back and gets in the bench and starts <laughs> coaching him. It was, uh, it was too funny. Um, but yeah, Mark just had this passion and, you know, Frank had that passion. I had that passion. You know, we wanted to win. We're young and hungry. And it had to be bittersweet that you developed this relationship with Mark Perry, and then after your freshman year, he's gone, and in comes Cal Sanderson. You know, and you don't just lose Perry. You know, obviously, Sutherland and, and these guys, the whole coaching staff changed over, but I know you had a really good relationship with Perry. What was it like when that coaching staff got ushered out and, and Cal and company got ushered in? It was, I would say, I would just say it was okay. It was, it was okay because uh, Mark and Mark was good, but he had his uh, qualities as a coach at that time. You're like, yeah, uh, it's okay if he goes. It was right. a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of he sometimes too much one of the guys rather than being the coach. Sure. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. 
yeah. you know, he, and he was hurt at the time. So he didn't do a lot. He wrestled with me because he could, he, he could kind of control me. Yeah. Um, I think he, he tells the coaches that Sunderland said, told Perry to quit wrestling with Quentin because he didn't want to squash my confidence. <laughs> no, I, loved, no I, I wanted to wrestle Perry because I wanted to try to get those wins. So yeah. Perry, I, and I don't know if that's true or not, but the coach Sunderland told Perry not to wrestle me as much. <laughs> Maybe Perry didn't want to wrestle me because I was starting to get, you know, I was starting to get better, starting to score points or something. But, and that's where, and I said, Mark Perry, and he's a really good coach because um, you look at that, any, Mark Perry learned, that's where I got inspired that you can win without having an arm, without having a leg. Because Mark Perry said he blew out his um, his ACL at the Big Ten yeah. Finals, and he found a way to win the national tournament. That was the key. You find a way to win. And it doesn't matter what um, obstacles you have. And so really, Mark Perry, the, his, his stories helped inspire that run too because, you know, Mark Perry, you know, I knew if he could do it, then I can do it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, if he can do it, I can do it. So I, I leveraged his stories as being a coach for one year to help me win it whenever I busted my shoulder. Sure. And what what happened from a standpoint of your ex- expectations? Like, what was your expectation going into Penn State? And then you were, I think, runner-up at Big Tens your true freshman year in an All-American NCAAs. What was your expectation after that happened? And then, I mean, would you have saw, if you saw the future before you, would you have saw redshirting and then being in three straight NCAA finals? Honestly, um, yes. That's how my mindset was. Realistically, that's not very realistic. But in my mind, when I came out of high school, I always had the mindset, why can't I win? I should win. I'm going to, yeah, why not win? Be that guy to make that statement. And everyone wanted to be that, like Kale Sanderson. Funny story about Kale. I remember I was in, in high school because we didn't have flow wrestling. We didn't have the media like we have now. Yeah. I had no if – if they weren't on Ken Sherdo's flyer, I really didn't know who they were. And uh, Ken Sherdo had the flyer. He had like John Smith, Roland Gardner. He had some of these other guys. Um, Kale Sanders, I didn't know who he was. I remember looking at a poster <laughs> in our locker room. It had – and it's the classic poster of, of a uh, – I think it was just a picture of a server thing that says serving – uh, one fifth was it 159? Yeah, serving 159 was this poster. I'm thinking that don't make any sense. <laughs> People are like, oh, that's Kale Sanderson. I'm thinking, well, who's that guy? And uh, it just we didn't follow the wrestling yeah. at that. Um, I forgot the question. <laughs> the 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 question was about setting your expectations through that and visualizing being a three-time NCAA champ. But I want to kind of parlay that and pivot a little bit because you talk about mindset, which is such a cliche nowadays. You have companies like Wrestling Mindset that are trying to help people develop a better mindset. You didn't have that back when you were competing. How did you develop that mindset early on? Oh, okay. Uh, That's a good – I'm going to think about that one real quick. Uh, I don't know. One thing I will say is some people kind of have it. I had uh, just a lot of videos, uh, just TV shows and stuff like that, um, even, even like the Disney shows whenever magical things happen. Uh, it's – I really haven't pinpointed – I haven't pinpointed what exactly what it was, but I just had this inherent – maybe it was my parents too. Maybe my parents that you can – you know, why not you? Why can't you win it? 
But some people, some kids, I'd say, really are born with that mentality. And that, um, maybe I was just born with that um, talent that I just believed uh, that I can do it. And I had a little bit of backing that I can do it. And you have a little bit of success. Uh, but especially in high school, I would say more so probably my parents were the ones pushing me in that regard. It says, you know, you can do it. Um, but whenever you get inspired and I would be inspired by, I guess they come back to like business shows where, you know, the, the person who doesn't have anything ends up, um, you know, the Cinderella type stories. Yeah. Uh, by the way, and, I think yeah. your mic keeps getting cut off. Is your phone, is your hand or your finger going on the bottom? It, no. It seems like it was going in or out or something. It's, it sounds better now. All right. Let's try it. Let's try that. Maybe it's internet there. But I'm thinking like the Dis- – just kind of like the Disney sto- stories. Then you had like Rocky, yeah. um, the you know, fictional story about a boxer. That's another idea. It's just I, – I've watched a lot of inspiring uh, movies like that. You know, you have like you know things like Patriot, Braveheart, the, pe- the good people that just go on to do incredible things. And then also come back to um, you know reading the Bible. You, you look all through the Bible and you have people who – who weren't really anything, and they do really crazy, crazy things. You know, the story of Moses. There's a guy, the guy who has a speech impediment that, um, you know, got kicked out of Egypt, and you know he has to go back and save the Egyptian people. Um, you have stories like Job, where he had everything taken away, believed yeah. God, and got everything back twofold. Um, you know, the story of Jericho. You walk around, that's crazy. You walk around the city seven times and it falls down. So really, <laughs> right. it, 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 done, it doesn't make any sense. So um, really just using those stories to inspire my success was what you, when you think about it, it's just, why not? You know, if God can do that with a little thing, why can't he make me become that successful? And that's where I would say really you develop hope and that hope becomes your mindset. Yeah. Um, whenever you believe your hope enough, it becomes, it, it kind of like becomes your reality. Whatever you believe is what you act towards and whatever you act towards is going to eventually come true. And how did you deal with the highs and lows and, and the moments where you were disappointed? Like it's easy when you win to, to be grateful. Not, I shouldn't say that it's not necessarily easy, but it's easier to, to be grateful when you, for when you win. And you've, you've had some ups and downs. You were, you won your sophomore year, then we're runner up your junior year dealt with that. And then, you know, you obviously went out as a champion, but you also had some, what you call home issues your sophomore year. Like how did you balance those highs and lows and overcome disappointment and adversity? I would say there's a, there's a song by Josh, Josh Turner country song. It's called me a God. And whenever you boil, that's one thing that can help you out in, in, in life is developing that relationship with God, somebody who's always going to be there, who's not going to uh, leave you. Cause you, that's what I've always fall, fall back on. Whenever things have, I would say life, whenever life has sucked and things aren't going your way, things aren't working. Um, yeah. I was back and say, you know, God is just, it's me and you, that's it. And I know, and I had that trust that no matter what happens, he will find a way to take care of me. It might not be the way I like, yeah. um, but I have faith that he is going to provide for me. I'm not going to, what's the worst thing's going to happen? I'm going to die. And then right. I go to heaven and I have everything for me. So, okay. That's right. not, that's worry. Yeah. And, when have, and when you don't have that worry, um, you know, they take your money away. But remember, go back to Job. Whenever you go back to Job, he had everything taken away and God gave it back. God has the ability to do anything. 
just continue believing in him and things are going to work out in the end. And that's, um, and that's what I've always fell back on because, and everything in between, and I'd say probably my dad did a good job with this. Um, he'd, he'd always say that, you know, there's people in a wheelchair that we give anything to do just to lose a match. Yeah. And that's a good mindset. And I know you've had other people on your podcast say the same thing uh, is that, um, we gotta be grateful for what we physically have, um, and what we don't have. Just be grateful for what, um, the position that you're in and always find hope in that because whenever you start, um, um, to kind of not judging, but wishing, what's that? You wanting someone else's things. What's yep. that word? Coveting. Coveting. When you start coveting other people's things, that's when you start going down that negativity road. Yep. Um, being, and being, and being negative and, and being negative is different than being, is being uh, a kind of critical yeah. self critical, uh, being critical. There's a fine line there. And once you start in, in that coveting, which is the big word of, you know, wanting other people's things, and there's nothing wrong with wanting <clears throat> what they have or not wanting what they have versus wanting what they have. Yep. Uh, and you can't go into wanting what they have. Um, you just have to work hard to obtain what they've obtained. Figure out a way for yourself to obtain it. Um, because once we start judging and saying and jealousy, it turns into jealousy. Uh, I think fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Those are the things that we have to focus on. I think what Ephesians 4, uh, um, Romans 12, 1. I had that on my dorm room uh, when I was in college. You know, change the thinking of your mind. Um, and that, and that was the big thing is that you start, um, changing the way you think all these good things, focus on these good things and then good things were happening. Once we start getting into the negative and you have to be very, uh, self-conscious and understand that because I do it every day. I start going into negative. I start complaining about people. I start doing this. I'm thinking, why am I doing this? Yep. This is not helping me. Right. Complaining about someone else doesn't do one ounce of getting me better in my situation. Yep. So I have to reel myself in every day, all the time. Uh, but once you learn to do that, those highs and lows become just kind of like a little ups and down, kind of like your beating heart. Yep. You just keep going. You yep. keep that beat on going, you keep moving, you keep moving forward. And when, when did, at what point in your college career did you meet your wife? Didn't you get married like your junior year? Yeah, we did. I got married the summer of my junior year. And, um, <clears throat> I met her. It was funny. I met her on random. Speaking of, it was random. I was walking around with my Penn State gear on, uh, meeting alumni for the athletes and stuff like that. And it was her grandfather. Um, it was grandfather who was on top of this hill. Actually, I saw her. We locked eyes. Scared me. <laughs> so I kept walking around because I'm thinking, oh, that's going to talk. Or yeah, that's what I was thinking. But we, I remember that we locked eyes. And then next thing you know, here, quiet. Come on over, Quentin. It was her grandfather <laughs> called me over, and I started talking to him about wrestling for the next two and a half hours. Wow. And the Penn State football game. It was a beautiful day out. And, um, yeah, she was kind of there with kind of like an ex-boyfriend, something like that. Sure. And, <clears throat> and But she started. She stood there and listened to me talk to her grandfather for about two and a half hours. And her grandfather, Earl R. Harris Sr., he was a Pennsylvania state champion back in 1958. Wow. 
Yeah, so he was, uh, and we just talked about, and he went to a school, Phillips or Osceola, which is just 30 minutes away from, um, actually 20 minutes away from Bald Eagle area where I went to high school. Yeah. It's about 30 minutes away from State College. So we just talking about all the people in the area and the legends, and he was telling me about his career for about two, and, and that's kind of where we started. Then every, we just started talking since then, and he, she kind of kept hanging around, and we were talking, and then <clears throat> I was started hanging out with her, her and her family, and then you know, two, three years later, I really depended on between her, her mom and my mom as well. During that time, whenever I was really struggling after I busted my shoulders, they kind of really took me in. And, uh, her grandfather has an amazing story. He was, uh, uh, he shouldn't have been a state champ. Actually, it was a historian recently just wrote. And the surprise of this year, 1958 was Earl R. Harris beat this, beat this nationally ranked wrestler, um, from Pittsburgh in the state finals, this little guy from Phillips for Osceola. And he was like four, four and two or something yeah. that year. And he, he was four, four and two, then he won districts and then he ended up winning the state finals. Um, and so he shouldn't have been there, but he found a way to win. That's pretty inspiring. And how did you balance your, your relationship with your wife and getting married and your wrestling career? I know some coaches and some athletes, they, they frown upon, outside i don't want to say circumstances but they they're, they're weary of it right because it's so easy to, to get distracted by a relationship by a job by by anything and schoolwork is is kind of the one thing that a lot of people will say hey you have to do this but a relationship can be time consuming how did you not get distracted by it and stay focused i would say it's just it's just your priorities where um I used it, the relationship, I was kind of used it as my, uh, what's that called? Calm, calm time. School yeah. was frustrating. Wrestling's frustrating, but the, the, hanging out and relaxing. I would say that we, it kind of fell into that category for me because that wasn't, yeah. that wasn't hard. Yes, I would say relationships can be frustrating and uh, they can't, they can be bad too. So if you're in a bad one, get out. Yeah. But if you're in one, if, if you're in a relationship that's keeping you, I would say present, keeping you calm. That's something that's good. It's something that's keeping you stable. And that was just something that was keeping me stable. I was really able to get through, put things. I was able to work on my schoolwork. I was able to do my wrestling. Now, and you know, she let me do all that in my camps in the summertime. It wasn't like controlling. And so it really helped stabilize my uh, my need in college. Because in really, I'm a I'm an introvert, so I don't like. I'm not the guy that's going out and meeting people. <laughs> go out there and meet people um so it was really calming just to be at just to be at home and just to hang out you know watch tv uh watch things so it it can help in regard now coaches i know some coaches they have different philosophies and that's where coaches you have to look at the individual and see how it's affecting them yeah and then help guide them because some kids it's a bad thing some kids it's a good thing i know i've heard coaches say that my god if it wasn't for his girlfriend this kid would be right nuts. and that's what i'm referring to when i say like some coaches frown yeah. upon it no especially i think more so they frown upon it maybe more in high school than college but i asked nolf the same thing like how did you stay you know you got married young and it helped you and it obviously helped you i mean you got married your junior year you, then your senior year, undefeated, you snap Dustin Kilgore's 62-match win streak. You become a two-time yeah. national champ. Like, Yeah, and, well, I mean, people could say it helped me. It didn't help me. It's Hey, that's their opinion. Yeah, I just, I just say I did it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I found a way. I found a way to get it done because when when I get to college, I went to college, and that's kind of like my job. Yeah. Uh, my job is to win wrestling, so that's what I fo- That's what I kind of made it, and my relationship, my schoolwork, and then my the way I get <laughs> my money for school is through wrestling. So that's kind of that's the way I focused on it. But really, coaches they have to grow and learn to um, listen, and if something is helping a kid keep doing it and that's something that really i would say kale sanderson has he's done a phenomenal job at learning to listen uh to these kids and then he listens and then he helps guide him in in the things that's going to help him and things that you know hey really that's that might not be helping you and that's really in college you you this is the first time kids make choices on their own and so you have to help guide him into making those right choices away from the control of parents um and that's the key to success in college. The kids who've learned to make the better to make the better choices for themselves usually end up being very successful. The the kids who've had the choices made for them their whole life they fall apart. Yeah. And that's and that's really the big distinction between a kid who makes it in college or a kid who's really successful and a kid who's not is if the parents have done all the work for them their whole life the kids fail. They utterly fail in college because it's the first time they have their own control. They have that control and they just go nuts. They do yeah. all the wrong things because they can't, they've never yeah. allowed where the kids who, who've kind of had their own, the parents kind of like let them do whatever they want their whole life, yeah. uh, make those right choices. And they got good in high school wrestling. That's when in college they continue making those right choices. And I see that over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, now that I bring up Dustin Kilgore, I'm curious of that match specifically. What was your expectation going into it where he's on a 62-match win streak and here you're going into it, your last match of college, so much on the line. You becoming a two-time national champ, you helping Penn State capture the team title. What's going What's going through your mind before that match and how did that match feel afterwards? That match I was actually calm for. That was the that was the match I was the most calm for because I knew that he was good and I knew that he knew he was good and I knew that he was going to come after me. And when you wrestle me, it opens up the door for me to score. Um, I remember going into the national tournament. Actually, I was frustrated at national tournament and I even said to Kale after my first match, I said, "Kale, I said, why am I only beating these kids by one or two points? I'm better than this." And Kale looked at me and said. Nah, no, no word. Like, <laughs> wait, I'm freaking out here. Now he's like, I'm not worried. You'll figure it out. And what was happening was when, and this is why you have kids who they win the national title as a freshman and then they don't as a sophomore or they don't the next year. Yeah. And it's because all their opponents adjust to them. They respect them. When your opponents respect you, they don't wrestle you. Everything, you make one mistake, you lose the match because yeah. you try force things because you're you're frustrated and you're thinking oh i gotta i have i should be killing this kid by 14 points so you start being more aggressive which gets you out of position and then you end up losing yeah. and that's what happened um the first four match matches that tournament those kids they were not giving me anything i mean i had to work but i knew that i couldn't over overwork over try to over overproduce takedowns because that was opening up i would get tired just like every other wrestler and sure. i could work on so that's what happened for those first four matches. But then against going to Kilgore, I was kind of calm there because I'm thinking, you know what? This guy's actually going to wrestle me because he he believes that he's going to beat me. 
And when when that was and that was the difference between that year and the year before. See, like when I wrestled um, uh, Steve Bozak in the NCAA finals in 2012, he knew he couldn't beat me unless he changed because I wrestled him in the finals in the Southern Scuff when I think it was a major. I majored him because he wrestled me hard. He opened up and I was just scoring left and right. But then when he got me in NCAA finals, I was, I was an idiot that match. I said, yeah, I got this. <laughs> and that's where you said, God, don't worry, I got this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't worry, I got this. I know what to do. I majored in last time. What an it. I think, you know what? So dumb. And you have to respect all fear none. You have to respect every opponent like they can beat you. But you don't fear wrestling them. And so in, in Bozak, he respected me. He held back. And he wrestled in Rob, uh, Rob Cole, Coach Cornell, extremely smart coach. He told him how to, you know, he, he they had a style how to beat me, and I had no idea going into it. That's what was going to happen. And then I, you know, I just ended up losing. Last call, ended up losing. So, but against Kilgore, um, he, he would have been better off being like those other guys and not trying to wrestle me and force me. Because I remember I tried to double leg on that match, and it was like hitting a brick wall. <laughs> so all his accolades before before that, and I and I tell that kids now, it doesn't matter what that person has done. It doesn't matter how many matches they've won. If that person steps on that wrestling mat with you, there's a 50-50 chance you can win. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It, anybody even though you hit, you, you say you hit a brick wall, but I think you also got three takedowns in that match. So yeah, you found a way to break down that brick wall by trying. <laughs> oh, yeah, because there's there's no way my double up was going to work. And so I have a good underhook, and I didn't know if it was going to work, um, but he didn't defend it as hard I when I grabbed a hold of him because he, he didn't defend it. He didn't respect her. He didn't defend it as hard as I thought he would. Sure. So when it hit the takedown, normally I'd run through people, but this is a brick wall. You can't run through a brick wall. So if you notice, whenever I hit it, I had to literally run around him. Yeah. So I to get the angle, and then I run around him to get the takedown. And I did that three times just because, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So uh, I just kept And you actually it. did it a couple more times. It was out of bounds. Like I think in the last like 20 seconds or 30 seconds, you almost hit it again. But it was out of balance. You didn't get the takedown. But the number yeah. of times you did it, I mean. It's... Yeah, because, hey, if it moves working, just keep doing it until it doesn't work. <laughs> right. And I, mean, how... I, I tell people that, you know, I don't, I mean, I, lo I love how, everyone loves how David Taylor, you know, like wrestles. But I said, listen, you don't need to go out there and show me that you can hit six different takedowns on a guy. <laughs> just take him down. So if it's, if something's working, you keep doing it until it quits working. Yeah. And how good did it feel to win that match and not only go out as an NCAA champion, but you, you helped Penn State capture the third straight national championship? What was that like? <sighs> it was like, it's like, I did it was last college match. You know, it's like, you know what? I did it. And I, I wanted to do it for the team because I knew going into that match, I had a feeling that there's a good chance David could lose um, because Dake's smart and he's wrestling against Cornell. There's a good chance that... Uh, Nico Megalutis was going to lose to uh, Delegato, I think it yeah, was. Delgado, yeah. So, yeah, there's a good chance he's going to lose there because that Delegato, he just, he's crazy. And, and um, Megalutis, um, crazy funky. Yeah. And Megalutis, he kind of is prone to that where he just he doesn't know how to scramble or to keep from those scramble positions. Um, and then I knew, well, and then I just saw, um, or I just knew uh, Matt Brown just lost to Perry that year. We had five guys in the finals. And we needed two people to win. And knowing that all those guys had lost, um, they, there's a good chance that they could lose. But they, 
they were kind of, they weren't really favored maybe um they would say so one of us had to get the upset and i didn't want to put the pressure on uh megalutis or david taylor so i knew i needed to get that win for the team and when i got it I'm like, we can relax because then once i got the win it sealed the national title for us and did you have any thought? I mean, I know you said when I asked you if you would have envisioned yourself being a three-time national finalist that that's what you would have saw. What about did you have any idea when you went to Penn State that that's how it would have played out? I hear Cal Sanderson would have came in, and then you would have won three straight national championships your sophomore, junior, senior year. That's That was my mindset from, I would say, from high school, being that guy to, to win national titles. And now – I would say it's more realistic now than ever yeah. just because of more and more kids are doing it. But back when I was there, I wanted to be that first guy to go and do that, to show that, you know, that it can be done kind of like what Kale Sanderson did. Yeah. And, but it, going into college, like I said, I, I knew the alumni, they're putting a ton of support into the program. They just built the facilities to kind of make it what it was, uh, make it the best program in the country. And the only thing they were missing was the coach. Um, that that coach to get him to that next level. And I kind of knew, based on living in the area my whole life and how passionate people were, that within one to two years that there was going to be a coaching change. But I had no idea it was going to be Kale Sanderson. And that's what um, I remember. I was, I was praying at youth group one night, thinking about what do I do for college? What do I go? And I, I just had a calm feeling, you know, Penn State. Just go to Penn State and trust it. And that's – I mean, because I had no idea. I couldn't even thought of something like that was going to happen. Um, but whenever, sometimes when you trust in your blind faith like that, it, it works out better than you thought. And then after you end your college career on such a high, what went into not wrestling after college? I think uh, when I was in college, I, I kind of got, I would say, burned, burned out from the wrestling. So b- the burnout is real, especially in college, because it takes such a mo- emotional toll, toll sure. on you person and with that high level of success and i would even say kind of like kale sanderson had that same thing that's why he didn't try to do the olympics two or three times because he didn't want to do that kind of like the media coverage and everything that goes with being the all-star athlete like that he wanted to get into he wanted to get into coaching which is more of a i would say career move so that's kind of what i did is that um i stayed with the line club for two years and i i didn't really have any success there um after college because when your passion isn't because my passion wasn't there and sometimes you got to be real with yourself to understand that when your passion is gone don't keep doing it if you're no longer excited about doing something and that's what happened during that time and i wanted to move on i wanted to say you know i've done this wrestling thing really well i want to go use my brains use my what my schooling was for and get into the business world and i had two degrees uh i got a a bachelor's of science in from the business manager of Smil Business School, and I also got um, um, bachelor's in arts from Labor Studies Employee Relations. And I wanted to deal with people, which is what I do best, just listening to problems and trying to make a, a good decision on it. And so with the Nate Line Wrestling Club, I didn't have that passion to keep getting grind, to go through that grind, get beat up on every day or beaten up on people, even though it was fun. Yeah. I didn't have that passion to do it full time. And so I used that time. I got my master's degree while I was doing that. So I, I, while I was wrestling there, I got my master's degree from Penn state. And, and then when I was done with that, I decided to move on. Actually, my last match was against a uh, crazy dude, uh, Pat Downey in the U S open. And I'm still mad about that match. What year was that? 
2015. Yes, 2015. It was April. No, it was May 2015-ish because literally I I applied for jobs. I'm like thinking U.S. Open, no matter what happens, I'm going to. I want to get a job and start using my master's degree that I just got. And so on my way out there, I had a, I was offered a position. I said, yeah, I'll go ahead and take it. And I'll start Monday, which is the two weeks after I got back from the U.S. Open that year. And when I wrestled Pat down, and you can look it up online, we were wrestling. I, I scored, I would say, probably 15 alleged points that were never given to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm thinking, man, why didn't the ref give me that? But anyway, the match is like ended up 7-6. It was a close match. And I go to throw him, and halfway through the throw, he he's, he hooks my leg, and he hand, lands on my head. And with those foam mats on the concrete, I got knocked out. So that was my last wrestling for right – I'd say for night, right now. Who knows? I got to come back and get a win sometime. But yeah. uh, that was my last wrestling match, I would say, internationally. And then – because I thought I would have done well, good there, but uh, that was that was it. And then Pat Downey, that kind of gave him the spark. He ended up he going through some crazy things the next year and a half, but now he's doing pretty good. Uh, he made the world team and stuff, and so uh, it got points there. But that yeah, that was my last that was my last fish wrestling match. But I was playing. I wanted to move on and try to use this business world because I've done wrestling my whole life. I wanted to try to take my wrestling skills into something something new, and. It's been learning. I love it. I mean, I love it. It's been a lot of learning. And the what you learn in wrestling applies to everything that you do. Yeah. And one thing I'll say, it's amazing how people don't have that mentality of working hard, getting things done, uh, like like a good like a good wrestler does. It's 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 amazing. So where are you working now? Like what are you doing? I know you're coaching. You're you're, you're coaching youth wrestling, right? But what else are you doing? Yeah, so I wrestled with a company. Uh, I worked for a company called Sand Clear. I can tell people it's the biggest company you've never heard of in Central. <laughs> we do. We about have like 650 some employees. I'm the human resource generalist with the company, and um, we do mental health care. So we deal with people um, from psychiatrists all the way down to helping kids get through school to have emotional type problems. And we do early childhood education. So we do. Um, birth to three years old, and then we have preschool classrooms, um, Head Start and Pre-K counts from ages three to five. And it's been amazing to learn that a lot of the things that you do from three to five-year-olds really carry on to the rest of your life. So it's super important to make sure that these ages from you know three to five have such a good um, learning and understanding about life that it really set them up for great success um, the rest of their life. Would you ever so get I, back into wrestling, like coaching, like on a on a D one level or on a big level like that? I've thought about it, and I gotta, I gotta. I'm more open to it now. Uh, I'm more open to it now because I didn't have that passion. But the more I'm coaching these little kids, I'm kind of like, you know, this is kind of fun. I really think I can have a positive impact. Um, but I haven't quite made that committed jump. That yeah. hey, this is what I want to do. I think I'd be good at it. Um, I don't know though. So I haven't quite made that committed jump, but when I do, I'll be on in and I'll be all in and I'll bring the the secrets of Penn State because <laughs> that's a, that's the issue right now. And the reason Penn State has been so successful is that everything that they do in their program can be anybody can do it, um, but none of the Penn State staff have gone to the coaching uh, other coachings to, to to implement that philosophy and how it's done, but. I mean, what Kale Sanderson, it's it's special because we're the only people doing it. Um, 
but anybody can replicate it. I would say there there is a secret to it because um, let's say let me give it to you this way: if I give you sugar, I give you flour, I give you butter, and I give you an oven, and I say, okay, now make a cake. Yep. That's you have all the ingredients. Everyone has the ingredients, yep. but how to put them together is the secret. Sure. And that, and that's what um, because if you use too much flour, if you use not enough sugar, if you don't have yep. salt. I forgot salt. Goodness, I forgot the salt. You know, that's that's the secret of how they put things together. And that comes from, I would say, really, I call Cody Sanderson's the brains behind the the operations. Casey Cunningham does. He's really good. The oh, Cody Cunningham. He's he's kind of like the brains of the training, of uh, and the management because he uh, he's a pre med degree from Iowa State. And fun fact, I think I, I tweeted out the other day that. Um, Cody Sanderson would have went to Cornell, but he didn't think that his brothers could get in. <laughs> that's what I say. He said that the one day, which I thought was funny. Um, and they all went to Iowa State then because they're a close knit family, um, and they're honest with each other. Hale, Hale is very—he's uh, an introvert. Yeah, big time. Uh, and he does a lot of thinking and processing, and he makes the final decision. So uh, everything's really on. But they have discussions about that yeah yeah and it's it's such a it's such a cool program to even be a part of in the capacity i am where just getting to know you guys over the years and and building these friendships and relationships and getting to work with some of you guys and and being welcome in that room i i tell everybody that the way when cal moved to penn state and the way he kind of introduced me to everybody and just welcomed me in the room it made me feel like an honorary alumni <laughs> you know like penn state yeah. instantly became my team yeah he's very welcoming to everyone i would say oh except for people that are looking for angles that correct they really light his secrets out yeah. he doesn't mind the room but just he's like don't just don't let my secrets out. Don't let this out. That's the biggest thing. And that's why he has a very high distrust of, I would say, kind of media types uh, and outside people. He, Like I said, he's an introvert, and he has a very inherent kind of – he doesn't like to open up to people. Yeah. Uh, so that's why it's it's very hard to gain his trust. But once you gain it, man, you've got, you got something special. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, l- last thing here before I let you go – what are you excited for next? I'd like to ask a lot of these guys who are wrestling right now what they're excited for next. And I, I'm curious when it comes to the wrestling world, just what a guy like you who's a two-time NCAA champ, kind of not involved at, at the top levels of coaching, but still involved with, with youth coaching and watching. Like, What are you excited for right now? Just honestly, I'm just excited to watch these kids that I'm in my program. Because uh, i got to give a shout-out to a guy named Greg Dinochik. He, he opened up the facility he brought this brand new awesome facility for our guys and it's just 100 percent for the kids in our area to have access to good to, to good coaching i said hey I, i'll coach it i'll be there and so i'm excited to see their successes uh because my whole goal is just to give back to these kids um what i kind of what i had growing up they might not ever have that access to good coaching um and it, and it just might be me so my goal is just to give them this access and if they win a state championship that's awesome if they don't, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, he is to give them someone positive influence in their life that they will be set up to do greater things in life because 
they came to our program and that and that's the whole goal so i'm excited to see how they do as they start to go out into into the world and and become and have success in whatever they in whatever they yeah, do. yeah even if it's not wrestling wrestling taught me so much and i was never a champion in anything yeah. but some jv tournaments <laughs> i tell that wrestling is just a tool you use wrestling as a tool to set you up for yeah. great success in life because everything you learn in wrestling you can you apply to your school work you can apply to your work life and uh it, it's it's the same so you don't have to be a good wrestler you just have to attack everything like you do the wrestling problems yeah i agree man well listen i appreciate you making some time for me this morning quarantined or not everybody's got a million things they could be doing so thanks for uh for taking some time this morning all right, sounds great. Hey, thank you for having me, and I great. I appreciate what you're doing. It's been awesome to listen to. I appreciate that, man. I'm having a lot of fun doing it, so thank you for listening, and we'll talk soon. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, be sure to leave a five-star rating review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on more episodes. For more wrestling content, be sure to follow Bash Mania on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and follow me. I'm at jbash on Instagram and at justinjbash on Twitter. I'll be back with another episode shortly see ya and the beat goes on